as Quint mentioned, we're, we're carrying on the book of Mark today, just looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're getting to a very important moment in the early stages of his ministry that Mark shows us a little snapshot of one of the most important things that Jesus done, does early on and like sets the precedent for his ministry. And it's incredibly important and challenging uh, for us as this is um, one of the things, one of the demonstrations, one of the examples, one of the sort of core foundations or principles or life traits of a disciple that Jesus shows to us uh, of what we uh, have the privilege of entering into. And uh, before I get into it, uh, I was just as I was preparing, um, taking this on board and looking into my own heart and I became more aware just of how uh, busy and distracted our lives are. We live busy and distracted lives. And I'm sure you can relate to this on some level, but uh, one of the moments of my day that I struggle most with every day, uh, when I come home from work and I, and I finish work for the afternoon and I'll transition into home life and we've got uh, a toddler and a newborn, so it's like chaos at the moment and a beautiful chaos and I love it, but it is a bit of chaos. And you get home and it's, it's dinner time, then it's bath time, then it's changing, getting dressed, and then it's, it's, like an, it's a whole operation. And uh, it's like, go, 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 it's intense. And uh, one of the things I struggle most with is that transition from, home, uh, from work to home. And I find myself so often just spinning in my head with the things I didn't get done, the things I need to do tomorrow, the conversations I need to have, the emotional weight of stuff I'm carrying as I journey with people, just my heart and mind is so often a million miles away from my kids and my wife. And uh, I know that we can all relate to this in some level, like we just live a distracted life where the demands and busyness of life has just taken over and we're not present in the moment to the people that, that we love and, and who matter most uh, to us. And uh, that came to mind because in essence, that is what Jesus is sort of giving us a snapshot of this morning. And in the busyness of his ministry, uh, he, he's not going to give way to distraction and uh, veering away from the presence of God, but he's going to actually intentionally move towards it as he says no to busyness for a while and enters into the presence of his Father. And this is a, an encouragement to us uh, this morning. So if you have a, a Bible or your phone, uh, you can flip or, or tap or swipe or whatever it is to Mark uh, chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verse 35 to verse 38. And what's happened before this is, is that Jesus has started his ministry. He's called a few of his disciples. Uh, they've began their ministry in, in Capernaum. And it's going so well in terms of a, a movement and, and a sort of ministry. It, it is really exploding. Jesus is healing people. He's changing lives. We're seeing salvations. Amazing things are happening. And it's in that context that we see what happens next. So reading from verse 35 to 38, he says, it says this, Very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he got up, he went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. 
Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. It's a very brief uh, portion of, of Scripture, just four verses, but it's so rich for us uh, this morning. We're just going to basically unpack that, that, as I said, in the busiest moment of this Capernaum ministry, Jesus uh, would, at the height of it, take time away from the business to withdraw, to uh, engage his Father. He would say for a moment no to the demands to in- intentionally be with his Father. And Jesus is showing us something here. And I really want this to encourage us this morning as I've been thinking and praying and just preparing. So often we get caught up in the busyness of life and there's just so many demands and so much expectation of us. Sometimes the problem isn't just the busyness, but our own hearts and we're pursuing our own things, our own selfish ambitions or we're just weighed down by the brokenness of life around us. And uh, things really pull us away from God in a way that uh, we're just consumed with the things of life. And it's in that context that Jesus just says, hold up, I'm not done. I'm going to come and heal and preach. I'm still doing my work. But more important than anything else in this moment, I'm going to spend time with my father. And it's very interesting, these, these two verses Uh, that Jesus actually shows us like the essence of what it means to be a disciple. There's um, later on in in Mark chapter 12, some uh, people are trying to trick Jesus and they're trying to sort of catch him out so they can arrest him. And they come to him and say, well, which commandment is the most important? And Jesus responds by saying, in in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, 31, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love God, love people. And this is so important because in essence, that's what Jesus is actually demonstrating for us in these verses. He's prioritizing the love of God by withdrawing to seek him in prayer. And he's prioritizing loving people by saying he's come to preach the message of good news which is what we need more than anything else. It's the most loving thing Jesus can do. And so basically, we're going to just unpack those two things today. I'm going to spend the majority of our time looking at the first point there. And so let's just get into it. It's, I've, if you're taking notes, you can write down that Jesus prioritizes seeking out the Father in the busyness of life. Seeking out the Father in the busyness of life. As I said, this happens at the peak of that Capernaum ministry. And um, Mark is, is like so simplistic in how he writes what happens. He, he just gives us the essence, but in, in such a short uh, phrases or, or verses, he packs in like there's a lot of backstory happening here. He's just giving us the tip of the iceberg, but there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. And he, and he says uh, in Mark 128, there's just two verses and I want to unpack with that. Mark 1.28, he says, the news about Jesus spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. The entire, like Galilee, that's a very large area. 
And so there was time for Jesus to do his ministry, for the word to spread, for him to gain sort of popularity, for people to be amazed. There was clearly a lot going on. Mark 1.33, Jesus is doing healings, and it says the whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many and drove out many demons. So Jesus is, is busy, and we know that God, uh, Jesus is God, we, but he's also fully man, and sometimes we forget the unique pressures he was under, and I find it somewhat comforting, actually, myself, because clearly there was a lot going on. There, there was a lot of traveling. There was conflict with the Pharisees. There was rejections he had to navigate. There was crisis after crisis after crisis. There was mess in people's lives. There was healings. There was sermon prep. There was the complexities of building his team. There, there was caring for the poor. There was a hundred things that Jesus had to do, and the demands were coming thick and fast. And in that place, he withdraws. I think we can uh, just resonate there with the busyness of life. If you ask any Joburg, if you ask anyone in the world, in fact, how are you doing? The answer is always the same. I'm tired and busy. It's always the same answer. I'm tired and busy. I'm tired and I'm busy. It's the same thing. And Jesus is, we're just seeing in the life of Jesus, there's something in the human life that is by default moving towards busyness and activity. And Jesus is intentional here. He shows us while the, the, the default of the human heart is towards activity, he's encouraging us that the default of the, the life of a disciple is towards being with the Father. Still being faithful in our work, still obeying him, still living a life on mission with him, but being with the Father as the number one priority. I think if we were in Jesus' shoes at the height of this Capernaum ministry, we, um, we, we would get uh, the leaders together, we'd uh, go away for a night of strategic planning. Who packed the flip charts? Who's got the donuts? Like a, let's plan how we're going to take this thing to the next level. Let's plan how, how we're going to uh, advertise or market. Let, let, let's... let's um, what, what, what events are we going to pull off? What are, what's our strategic focus? What's the vision? What's the vision here? It's like, this is very in, encouraging to us. Jesus takes a moment out to be with the Father, to rest, to replenish, to refocus his heart. So in the busyness of, now, of life, we like to highlight progress and, and chase progress. Jesus is chasing presence with the Father, pro, presence over progress. That's what he's calling us to. And there's a beautiful picture of this in Luke 10, verse 38 to 42, and it's the story of Mary and Martha. It's really beautiful and so helpful because so often we can get caught up doing things for God, living a life for God, doing the work he's given us to do, and neglecting the one who gave it to us. Getting caught up in what he's asking of us, not spending time with him. Spending more time on responsibility than on relationship. Luke 10, 38, 42, it says this. While they were traveling, he entered a village. This is Jesus, he entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. See, in our, in our haste to serve God, Jesus is calling us to savor God. Martha has been distracted by her busyness. You see what busyness does? It distracts us from the presence of God. Mary's getting it right. She's present with the Lord, recognizing who he is, stopping working. I think if we all know at a philosophical, conceptual level, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you would agree that we know the priorities of life, that it's God first, uh, then whatever, spouse, kids, other relationships, then work. But how often does that order flip? And we end up chasing uh, the, the demands. We end up chasing uh, what people are expecting of us. We end up putting work first. That when we wake up in the morning, the anxiety of the expectations, of the demands, of the, the anxiety of performance and deliverables is the thing that is gripping us. We wake up and we immediately feel like anxious. There's so much to get done, Lord. There's so much I have to do. Sorry, I, I can't. I need to. And our, our families and our, and our Lord take second best. Uh, this is something we all struggle with. Our default is towards activity. Jesus is encouraging us at the life of a disciple as our default is towards presence with him as our priority. John Stott gives us some encouraging uh, and practical words here and he's defining prayer and he says this, that prayer is shutting the world out and shutting ourselves in with God. Shutting the world out and shutting ourselves in God. And we have to do that because you can't have both. In a world that is rushing, being in the presence of God, in tune with what he's doing, sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, they just, they don't really work in tandem. You can't dwell and rush. They're, they're opposed to one another and it's going to take an active step of shutting the world out to shut ourselves in with God and take that time to withdraw like Jesus did from the demands of the people, from the busyness of life, to withdraw, to spend time with our Father. Jesus did this so often. Luke 5, 16, it says this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was like a regular pattern of the life of Christ because he was so busy. The more, in fact, you look at the life of Jesus, the busier he was, the more he prayed. The busier he was, the more he prayed. And he wasn't neglecting the crowds. He loved the crowds, but as a priority, he knows that he need, before he needed to be used by God, he needed to abide in God. I think in lockdown last year, maybe even work from home this year, we've had every opportunity to enter into God's presence and person and deepen our relationship with Him. But how quickly have we become busy? 
The problem isn't time. It's not time. We've got time. Our leisure time, what we spend our leisure time doing is the greatest um, indicator of what we depend on for rest. And I, I know in my life, um, escapism through, through TV shows and all that, like th these things are a gift from God. I, I thank the Lord for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and all those wonderful shows. It's an amazing thing, but you hear the point? Pressing into the Father is the intentional hard work of the life of a disciple as we withdraw from the noise of life, as we withdraw from the demands of life, as we hit pause on the expectations and responsibilities of life to take care of the most important thing ever. Jesus does this, if you look at the text, very intentionally because he knows trying to do it in the midst of the noise is really hard. And it's true that the scriptures tell us pray without ceasing. So in, in all of the moments of life, we get to do that. But we see specific times set aside in the life of Christ to withdraw. You see, you have a look at, um, I think it's, yeah, verse 35. It says two things there. Number one, Jesus rises early in the morning. Now, I know like we're getting tense here. Like we, I know a lot of us love our sleep. So rising early in the morning is like the hardest thing we can do. But this is the normal pattern of Jesus, and it makes sense, right? Imagine Greg led us in worship with an out-of-tune guitar, and then once we were finished the worship time, then he decides to tune it. It just doesn't make sense. You tune your heart at the start of the day to the love of Christ, and the work changes. The way we work changes. The peace in our heart in the midst of work changes. Everything is different when we spend time with the Father as a priority. So Jesus takes that time out. He puts God before work. And then secondly, he gets up and he goes out to a deserted place. He gets away from the noise of life to be alone with God. He separates himself. This is very important. You notice they're rising early in the morning and going out to a deserted place. He separates himself from the demands of life in terms of time and space. He gets away from it. He makes time when, every, when, the, noise, when, the, when the world is quiet. He's up so he can be quiet with the Lord. When... This area is noisy. He's gone to that area where it's quiet. He's like, he's making a time and place where it's still so that he can enter in uh, to the Lord. This is very encouraging for us because we need some sort of trellis in, in, our, in our lives. If you're uh, like me and you enjoy a bit of wine, uh, you can go to a vineyard if you haven't, and you'll see that the vines need some sort of structure to grow on. Like that's the trellis, like there's a structure for them to grow. And if they don't have that, they'll be very small, they'll yield little fruit, and they'll be mostly like underground, and, and they won't be like strong. But if you want to increase the fruit that you see, and if you want to increase the strength of the vine, you give it a trellis. And that's sort of what Jesus is doing here. It's like before he prays, before he actually gets to praying, he does the work of getting up, and going out. So he creates the environment that, which, through which prayer is like effective and you can enter into the presence of God. Like so often, prayer doesn't feel like anything special. 
But like when you get away from the noise of life and enter into the presence of God through that, things start to flourish in time and we yield fruit and it becomes more beautiful as we give ourselves to that. And sometimes we don't do this because we choose the busyness of life over the presence of our Father. Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek, he says that he's too busy not to pray. He says that I've got so much to do today that if I don't pray for three hours, I'll never get it done. I know that seems excessive, but what he's actually showing us is that when we stop working and rely on God to do the work of what only he can do, we're actually more fruitful. We choose to be busy more than fruitful. Busy more than fruitful. God is calling us actually to see it the opposite way, that when we put God first, that is the primary call of a disciple's life. God isn't calling us to just be busy. Because, look, God is calling us to be faithful workers, but we've got to draw the line. Being a workaholic helps nothing. If we actually apply that to this passage, what Jesus is telling us is that when we give ourselves to every demand in life, our spiritual health will die slowly. And one of the ways we give ourselves to just the richness of all that God has for us is by saying no to work for a season, for a few hours, for, for a moment, and giving ourselves to Him. So look, I know by now you're probably saying, Dave, that sounds great, but it's very naive because you have no idea how much I have to get done every day. You don't understand the demands in my life. I can't just not do my job. Like, I've got work to do. I've got uh, deliverables. I get a performance review. Like, I have to come through here. I think to help us in the Scriptures... And I really want to encourage us to study more of this in our own time and, and grow in the practice of this. God's given us sort of two rhythms that help us um, take this on board in a normal way in our lives. Just as we build those, trellis, those trellises up in our lives, there's two rhythms that he's helped us to actually do this in the midst of the busyness, to create space. And the first is, is the Sabbath. He's given us a Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's a day set apart to say no to the demands, to say no to work. What's so important about the Sabbath is that it's a day when we stop doing and start being, if you want. It's a day we stop defining ourselves by our contribution and start defining ourselves by our communion with our Father. It's like a day to reset where we're placing our meaning and significance. It's a day to reset the default of our heart towards activity, towards uh, whatever it is that is drawing us in to, to work and to, to root ourselves again on the person and relationship that we have with Jesus. So often we um, prioritize work we, we work our, our, our normal pattern in our life is to work ourselves to death and then take a two-week holiday. And, and then we'll recover. We'll, like, we'll have like 14 Sabbaths in a row. It's awesome, you know? And that's just not how it works. 
It's not, it's not the healthy rhythm of a, of a disciple's life, like a weekly rhythm, being faithful in it, sticking to it. As much as it's difficult, as much as it makes you feel more anxious, it's so important for us. I actually want to put this in here. Have you noticed in your life that when you stop uh, working, things in your heart really bubble to the surface? Like your anxiety increases. Your, your frustrations increase. Have you noticed that the imaginary arguments you have with yourself are in the times of rest? Because you're not distracted. You're giving yourself to health in your heart. That's one of the gifts, one of the many gifts of a, of a Sabbath, is that it enables you to stop burying the stuff that's going on in our spirit and in our hearts and to actually bring it to the Lord and become healthy people. And actually become Christ-like. It's, it's one of the deep rhythms as, as rest, the gift of rest, resets us to become more Christ-like. It like helps our hearts center ourselves again on the gospel, the rest of the gospel. It's not about performance. It's about what he has done and will do for us. He will take care of it. That, just that day, that weekly rhythm of Sabbath is such a gift uh, to us. I want to encourage us to, to study it and actually commit ourselves to it. The second rhythm the Bible gives us, as we see in the book of Psalms, is the daily rhythm of Selah. And um, you may have seen it if you read the Psalms every now and then, in the middle of a Psalm, it'll say Selah. And what that word is, you know, there's some confusion around it, but everyone can agree that what it is. Um, at a high level, is a moment to pause and to just reflect on what's just been read. If you apply that to your day, it's like it's a moment to pause, reflect, pray, and just give that next couple minutes to the Lord as we sort of reset and, and, and um, sort of enter in again to Him and His Spirit and His presence and what He's doing uh, among us in our hearts just to set up that, that routine. On, uh, on Tuesday, Quinn mentioned we have our day of prayer and fasting. That might be a seller moment for us as a community. We can just give ourselves that hour on Tuesday, 7.30 to 8.30, to just dwell in His presence together, to pray together, to say no to the business and demands of life, and just to like, do the work of, of stopping, of resting, of worshiping, uh, and just uh, praying as we depend on him as a community. It's a Selah moment for us. Early morning devotions are a Selah moment. And we need this. We need these two rhythms in our lives because the demands will come. They are relentless. See what happens to Jesus? He's taken time away to pray, to engage the Father Verse 36, it says, The Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Like the, the, the original words used there for searched for Jesus indicates that they were coming to him with hostile intent. Like in their hearts, they thought that Jesus was slacking and that he had... Um, Stop doing his duties. He was neglecting his duties. This was, in their hearts, a rebuke. Jesus, what are you doing? 
You've got people to heal. You've got emails to read. You've got WhatsApps to reply to. You've got hospital, hospital visitations. You've got weddings to do. You've got people to counsel. You're slacking, man. You know what? Actually, in fact, the 12 disciples and I, we've got together and we've looked over your um, job description and uh, we think you'd be a bit more fruitful if you gave yourself to that. We've got an agenda for your life, Jesus. Jesus says the most startling thing. And it's in this place of resting, of replenishing his heart in Christ, of refocusing his heart that he's free to say what he says next. He doesn't say, oh, sorry guys, let me just put on my sandals. I'm, I'm on my way. Let's get to work. He's had time with the Father to hear what God is calling him to. He's had time to seek the Lord and get his guidance. Jesus is not motivated by peer pressure. He's not motivated by approval or guilt or fear. He's not motivated by popularity. He's not motivated by a fear of man in any way. He clarifies his purpose out of a place of rest and refocus, and he says this, verse 38, let's go on to the neighboring villages, why? So that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So Jesus is saying this, I mean, the disciples are saying, come, everyone's looking for you. Come, let's get to work. And Jesus, Jesus says, no, let's go somewhere else. Because he's gotten clear on his purpose. He's not given to the demands and expectations. He still loves people, obviously. He still has a heart to heal, to help, to provide. It's clear in Scripture that Jesus' heart is to do that. But what's more clear than anything is that he's got a heart to preach. That's what he says here. This is the second point. So firstly, we looked at that Jesus seeks out the Father in the busyness of life. Second point, Jesus seeks out the lost in the brokenness of life. Jesus seeks out the lost in the brokenness of life. At first glance, this looks so uncompassionate. Like, Jesus, come on, there's, there's, there's people to heal here. There's people to care for. Why would you want to move on? Like, come care for these guys. And of course, he does care, but his ultimate purpose, he says, is to preach the gospel. Even more important than healing or caring for the poor, he's come to communicate God's message of hope to the world. The message he's come to preach is not a message of getting your act together or pulling up your socks or earning God or five tips to your best life now or how to be successful or any of those things. His message is the good news of the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God and new life in Jesus and that the kingdom is near. And he preached this to everyone who would hear. And then he died and resurrected and accomplished it for his people. In the brokenness of life, what we need more than anything else is God's forgiveness. That's our primary spiritual need. And the disciples thought that the miracles were primary and the message was secondary. And Jesus flips it. He says, no, the message is primary. The miracles are secondary. The miracles just attest to the message. The miracles testify to the message. The message is about repentance and forgiveness of sins. 
And you see the heart of Jesus, the kind heart of Jesus here, is that we need forgiveness more than anything, and he is desperately willing to announce the message. He wants to move from town to town to make the circle bigger, as it were, so that everyone may hear the good news of the gospel. In fact, when Mark uses the word preach, he doesn't use the typical word used that is connected to evangelism. He uses the word uh, caruso, which is like the, the word connected with the ancient practice of being a herald. Like, you know what a herald is? Like in the ancient days, the king would have a message that he gave to the herald, and now it's the herald's job to go take that message and announce it. That's the word Mark uses of preacher. It's like Jesus has a message from God for us, and he has come down in the person of Jesus to share the message of the good news of the grace of God. I just want to draw out two things, two application points for us in this. One, that we desperately need the gospel. Still, if this is your first uh, time or, 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 or just your early on in your walk, we desperately need the gospel. If this is the one millionth time you've heard the gospel, we desperately need the gospel. It's all about the gospel. In John 6, there's something amazing that happens, and there's this encounter that Jesus has with the crowd. And he's telling them, what you need is to believe in me, because I'm the only way to God. You need to come through me for, for, the, for forgiveness. And this is apparently a very offensive message, because many people uh, walk away from Jesus and stop following him. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, okay, what about you guys? Are you going to leave too? Verse, John 6, verse 67 and 68, Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Like you have the words of eternal life. Do we really believe that? Like each day, we have that available to us as we engage God in his word, the words of eternal life. We need the good news of the gospel daily. If Jesus prioritizes preaching, we need to prioritize receiving of the word. Right? second thing we see is just Jesus' evangelistic heart. His default inclination, what should we do next? What's best next? His default inclination is to move to the next town and preach that more people may hear the grace of God and the message of forgiveness. Clearly it says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The scriptures say that. But he come, he's come to seek out the lost in the brokenness of life. And our encouragement is that this would grip our hearts again too. Like if this is the heartbeat of Jesus, if this is the default of Jesus, would this be something that is engraved on our heart as well? Charles Spurgeon said, If there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. So where do we go wrong? Again, I think it's busyness and it's distraction. We're so busy with life. 
that we're dead to what God is doing in the lives of others around us. And we're so concerned on what I need to do next. And we're less concerned and aware of what He is doing next in the lives of the people around us. And it's that switch that Jesus is showing us in this passage, away from demands and towards the heartbeat of Jesus and what He is doing in our lives and the lives of people around us. So just as we close, I just want to invite us today, uh, even now, or if you're watching at home, in your living rooms, or wherever you are, in your beds, to just take a moment to breathe spiritually. Just take a moment to move away from the distraction that busyness brings us to being present to God in the moment. You know, we love as a church to speak about this in various ways. We speak about resting in the gospel. We speak about living an unhurried life. We speak about a Sabbath and cellar. We speak about slowing down. We talk about the ruthless elimination of hurry. All of these things, they're really, it's about one thing. It's about becoming more present to God. And I really want to encourage us with that this morning. Because as Jesus shows us, the demands of life will strangle us. And eventually, if we keep saying yes to the demands of life, our spirit will wither and our relationship with God will be nowhere. But that relational intimacy comes through presence, comes through giving ourselves time for God, creating space for Him, taking a step back, slowing down by praying. The key word I want to just leave us with here is the, is the word dwell. Like you can't dwell in a rush. I said it earlier, you cannot dwell in a rush. There's no dwell drive through. Dwelling is something that happens over time as we just take time to breathe and sit in the presence of God. This is something we just don't do enough of because we're given to responsibility, we're given to demands, and of course, please don't hear what I'm not saying, we should do our work well, but number one priority that Jesus shows us is to be in the presence of Jesus, of God, regularly as we give ourselves to him in moments of dwelling, and as we commit to the rhythms of Sabbath and Selah, so we're going to take a moment now to do that, and I'm just going to Pray for us, and like I said, if you're at home, I'd love to just encourage you to take a moment to be in the Spirit of God right now. Just take time to presence yourself with Him. Open your Bible, read it, pray, engage God. Give time to just sit with Him. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your kindness to us. In, in saving us and bringing us into a relationship with yourself. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, as we've been looking at your heart to come preach, to preach the message of the forgiveness of sins, our most desperate need. God, I pray that anyone um, who might be new in the faith or, or maybe just crossing the line of faith right now, would you by your spirit help them see you more clearly? Help them believe the message of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. I pray that you would send a spirit to them right now to uh, do a work in them in making them see you more clearly and make 
them just understand um, your reality and the truth of the gospel, Lord Jesus. I pray for, for those who have been Christians uh, for a while, or whatever amount of time, that you would again help us just see Jesus afresh, that you would grip our hearts, that even right now in this moment, as we're talking about resting and coming to the Father in a moment of devoted dwelling, that our hearts would be more gripped by you in this moment, Father, than all of the things we need to get done this week or this afternoon. Just right now, Lord, would you still our anxieties? Would you still our distractions? And just help us and give us the gift of just dwelling with you in this moment, Jesus. Thank you. This isn't some sort of moralistic, therapeutic deism. By your spirit, you are here. If we're Christians, you live in us. We'll take a moment to be with our Father. Like Jesus did, so can we. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just be with us in this moment, helping us respond to you, helping us respond to the invitation to come. Thank you that you're the Father that says, come to me, all who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. We believe in you and we trust in you for that this morning, Father.